The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Hello and welcome to Scorebox. Here are your headlines today. Global markets come under pressure with the Dow dropping 630 points after U.S. jobs data points to tightness in the labor market as investors look ahead to a crucial week for data and earnings. Meanwhile, fresh data flashes warning signs for the Chinese economy as the services sector contracts for the first time in four months, while the chip sector drags stocks lower after the U.S. announces fresh restrictions. Elsewhere, the Russian President Vladimir Putin accuses Ukraine of a terrorist act after a bridge linking Crimea to Russia is hit by an explosion, disrupting a key military supply line. This, uh, As you just reported, there's no doubt it was a terrorist act directed at the destruction of critically important civilian infrastructure of the Russian Federation. And the authors, perpetrators and those who ordered it are the special services of Ukraine. And Nissan reportedly pushing Renault to sell down its stake in the Japanese carmaker as part of talks that would see the auto giants creating a joint venture to accelerate the development of electric cars. A big week coming up for markets. We've got earnings from major banks crossing later in the week, but a huge focus still on the data as we gear up for inflation numbers. As we wrapped up last week, it was the labour market that investors were focused on. We saw that the numbers are effectively just reinforcing expectations that we will have another 75 basis point rate move from the Fed. If you look at Fed funds rate, uh, 80% chance of that 75 basis point move. So the market really gearing up for some form of a, a jumbo size increase again from the Fed. That unemployment rate that crossed, it was 3.5% down uh, 0.2 percentage points as the participants participation rate edged lower, but it was the non-farm payrolls headline figure two increased 263,000 on the month that was short of expectations for about 275,000. So the market, as you can see, just rattled by the performance from the labour market, still indicating fairly tight labour market conditions. So across the board, we pulled back, particularly led by the tech sector, the 3.8% that we pulled back on the Nasdaq. It was the worst trading day since about the 13th of September for a lot of these major indices. The other major boards, as you can see, 2.1% down for the Dow still a much weaker turn of events for the major boards but over the course of the week still trading positive thanks to the front-loaded action where we saw green that materialized earlier in the week uh, some early hopes around the jolts report that there'd been some improvement in the labor market so we closed out the week trading uh, firmer for the trading week but weaker for that Friday session let's take a look at the dollar Dollar is king. That has been the story that has been fueling a lot of these trades on foreign exchange markets. And you can see on the back foot for many of the risk currencies versus the greenback for the morning session. Sterling, as we are trading Monday at 110.82, we've got a lot of focus too on the Bank of England as to whether it will try and keep pace this time with 75 basis points or even move further than that. ECB is expected to move by 75 basis points. That currency, though, you can see under pressure as the relative equation 
equation versus the dollar is something that investors are looking at at this point across the region. Uh, dollar yen rates are 145.41 dollar again, marching high versus the Japanese currency. And let's take a look at those US futures, how we're getting set up for the trading session. We are looking suitably weak, as you can see. The board's indicating that we will have some softness later on. I think away from the macro data that investors have been stressing around the pivot, the lack of a pivot, the um, focus around earnings too will be huge. Uh, consensus uh, estimates for next year for the final quarter may take somewhat of a beating as we see some updates from the corporate uh, as they cross later on this week. And we'll have more on the outlook for US markets along with the economy. JP Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon will be joining us. That'll be for tomorrow, that interview in an exclusive conversation with our colleague Juliana. Um, just before we move on, can you put up that dollar yen board again for me, if possible? Yeah, thanks, guys. Um, interesting. Uh, good morning, by the way. Good morning. Um, lots of absolutely fascinating things you've already covered. Lots more to cover over the next three hours and the next five days. Um, 145.42. The only reason I mentioned that is because that's roughly where we were when the Bank of Japan came in last time and got it back down to 141. So markets testing the Japanese central bank and its willingness right away on this early Monday morning to see whether uh, how, how firm a line in the sand 145, 146 is. Right, it might be a week of intervention style announcements. The market I mentioned before has been closely eyeing the Bank of England. And don't forget we've had that intervention expected to stop around the 14th. So the market watching that side of the equation. But I think too, as you point out, the levels on the Japanese yen, are we talking about intervention here from the Japanese yet again? Yeah, I mean, dollar index has had what is most extraordinary, right? What is it? 17.5% higher already this year. Uh, let's move on. The US has announced a slew of restrictions on Chinese access to the semiconductor technology coming from the States. The measures severely limit the country's ability, that's China's ability, to manufacture or obtain advanced computer chips and cut it out completely, potentially, from certain chips made by the US anywhere in the world. The move will hurt China's ability to develop military technology and builds on restrictions already applied earlier this year. Well, greater Chinese markets are reacting to the developments with mainland markets also trading for the first time in a week. Let's get to JP Ong, who joins us now from Singapore. JP, good morning to you. Good morning, Stephen. Happy Monday to you guys. Not a very happy Monday, though, for mainland Chinese markets on a day when Japan, South Korea and Taiwan are all offline for respective holidays. All attention is really on how mainland Chinese markets are going to react and reopen from that week-long Golden Week celebration. And not a bang. In fact, more of a whimper when you see how Shanghai and Shenzhen, the two major benchmarks in, on the mainland, are reacting today. We got the Shanghai composite down by about 0.4%. Shenzhen also trading about eight-tenths of a percent down so far in the Monday session as we move past the lunch break in mainland China. You're right. It's those export control measures that's really shaking things up with regards to the tech space. But it's also the fact that the Golden Week holiday came in with lackluster numbers. They saw significant decline actually in trips taken by Chinese uh, citizens across the uh, mainland during the Golden Week holiday, in part due to the effects of the various lockdowns related to certain COVID-19 upticks over the last couple of months. We also saw travel revenue there apparently plunging by 26% on a year-on-year basis. And this also supported uh, concerns that Chinese consumer sentiment is now being affected. We did get the word that the Taishin Services PMI index actually declined or contracted for the first time since May, and thus adding more question marks on the slowing down, the slowdown at least, potentially, in the world's second largest economy. Economy. This is also hitting the Hang Seng Index quite hard in Hong Kong. They are for, uh, falling deeper and deeper to bear market territory. 
plunging 2.5% to 17,289 points. We talked about the impact of those export control measures on chip makers in, the, in, in China by the United States, and it's really hitting uh, the tech space uh, quite broadly. The Hang Seng Tech Index, even the likes of Alibaba and Tencent and other tech stalwarts listed in Hong Kong are getting hit hard. They're down by about 3.6% in today's session, but the all share semiconductor index in mainland China is also getting pummeled. They're down by about 5.9%, as many are scrambling to figure out what implications, what new headwinds this will bring for these semiconductor and semiconductor equipment stocks out in mainland China. There is one bright spot if you can scrounge and squeeze out one bright spot in mainland China, and that's the CSI 300 real estate index. And there is now renewed hopes once again that Beijing, which has now decided to lift the, uh, uh, to, uh, lift, uh, to uh, ease the mortgage rate floor and also encourage banks to lend more to property developers in mainland China, well, that's bolstered um, the spirits, at least, of property developers listed in Shanghai and Shenzhen. They're trading about 2.7% higher. Unfortunately, it's not carrying over to Hong Kong today. We're seeing the Hang Seng property index still in the red, down by about 8 tenths of percent. It's not as big a hit as what we're seeing with regards to the Hang Seng Tech Index, but you can see that the sentiment and the mood is rather gloomy out in Hong Kong and broadly across the rest of greater Chinese stocks at the start of this new trading week, guys. Uh, JP, thank you very much indeed for that. Right, services activity in China contracted for the first time in four months in September, according to the private Kaishin survey, which came in at 49.3, down from 55 in August. Karen. The reading comes just over a week ahead of China's twice-a-decade Communist Party Congress, where President Xi Jinping is expected to further consolidate his power, paving the way for an unprecedented third term. Confirmation of Xi's third term as leader comes amid growing criticism of the country's zero-COVID policy, reportedly breaking through on social media app WeChat. New COVID cases came, came in at their highest since the 20th of August on Sunday, following a week-long holiday, prompting the lockdown of the city in the Shanxi province. Now China's zero-COVID policy has hurt the economy, which is due to miss Xi's 5.5% growth target for 2022 by more than two percentage points, according to a World Bank forecast. Bates Gill joins us, the Executive Director, Centre for China Analysis, Asia Society Policy Institute. Bates, thank you very much for joining us today. There are so many big issues in the backdrop for China as we count down to this uh, key party congress uh, starting on Sunday. Just give us a sense as to what you think are the primary big issues for China at this point. Well, you know, this is going to be a sort of coronation of sorts for Xi Jinping. I think we should have every expectation that, of course, he'll receive the mandate from the party to continue on to a so-called third term. Uh, and so, you know, the personnel issues that often surround uh, these you know, huge party congresses every five years may not be as important for us to follow, since we should have every expectation that Xi Jinping is going to continue in a leadership and that he'll surround himself with people that that support him. What I'm going to be looking for, though, is, is potential changes in policy uh, to see whether or not there's any indication about a shift in the zero COVID uh, policy, for example, any indication of a shift in opening up the economy a little bit more, uh, less party intervention, a greater degree of the market um, 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 directing uh, future economic trends. Um, I'm not, I'm not optimistic that's likely to be the case and we may see even further signaling from xi on the economy that it's going to be continuation of policy as usual 
Bates, while you bring up the team, one of the big uh, focuses for markets is as to whether Premier Li Keqiang will actually be in the same position by the end of the next couple of weeks. What do you think? Could that be one of the key changes we see in the team? It's likely that Li Keqiang would be, uh, yes, a step down and there'll be a, a successor uh, you know, named and will, will appear over the course of that first day or two. Uh, we'll know who it is. But, um, you know, there's a lot of speculation about who it might be. Uh, whoever it's going to be, though, I think we should be very clear that it's uh, not going to represent in, in any way, to the degree perhaps Lee has, uh, any sort of difference uh, in the way that the economy ought to be handled. I, I would suspect that that we'll see in this appointment a person who's going to be pretty loyal to Xi Jinping as he continues on as paramount leader. Uh, Bates, good morning to you. So no coronation as such, or certainly a coronation, but certainly the voices of dissent growing. What worries me is is the point that you and other very eminent commentators make is that the struggle for legitimacy, sovereignty, wealth, power, leadership and ideas could bring China into a far more contested relationship. This is your words, of course, with many of its neighbours and great power counterparts as well. Are we about to enter a far more dangerous relationship between China uh, and perhaps the West? I certainly think that that's a a high possibility, unfortunately. And that's why we should be reading the signals coming out of Xi Jinping's speech at the beginning of the Party Congress next week uh, to see, especially on these issues of foreign policy and national security, if there's going to be any flexibility or signals of potential accommodation Uh, which might turn us away from this more contested future. Again, I'm not optimistic that that's likely to be the case. I think uh, she is going to exude great confidence and has already uh, signaled, I think, uh, that he's willing to take a greater degree of risk uh, in trying to achieve the the goals that he believes are necessary in order to achieve the so-called great rejuvenation of the Chinese nation. Um, you know, we have a, a, a summit coming up, likely, between Xi Jinping and uh, President Joe Biden on the sidelines of the G20 next month. Uh, one would hope that there may be some opening uh, on China's part signaled by Xi in his speech that would that would you know, give us an expectation that, that the two can find some common ground. But uh, I'll be listening carefully. I don't have high expectation that that will be the case. No, actually, very interestingly, uh, Bates, that we showed some footage of Mr. Xi talking to Mr. Putin uh, while you were just talking as well. How much of a a template is the current conflict between, uh, and this is Putin's word, the West uh, and Russia? How much of that is a worrying template between uh, for the relationship between the West and China? Because a lot of the domestic issues that have led Mr. Putin to be more aggressive on the foreign policy front could well apply at some stage to Xi's China. Well, I would say one of the greatest commonalities that Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin have is their shared concern, even fear, uh, uh, in nationalistic sort of out, out, you know, uh, uh, policies back towards the West and, and concerns that the West is out to undermine their rule and authority. So I think they share that common view. Um, I, I doubt that Xi Jinping is particularly happy, though, uh, with the way that uh, Vladimir Putin has chosen to express that dissatisfaction, especially in the so far unsuccessful invasion of Ukraine. 
So, you know, there are pluses and minuses, I suppose, in Xi's uh, common ground he has with Putin on this issue. But there's no doubt, uh, and, and even absent Vladimir Putin, I think uh, Xi had already signaled to us and, and is likely to continue uh, his deep and abiding concern um, about the West and his belief that the West is ultimately aiming, you know, to undermine his authority and the authority of the party and hence contested relationship in the future. Bates, I want to pick up on the elevated tension from the U.S. on trade policy going into this meeting. The sweeping changes we had that target the chipmaking industry in China that were unveiled on Friday. And effectively, we know that China has uh, elements of chipmaking, but it still relies on a lot of very key Western technology for much of its industry. Uh, just what type of provocation is this for China on the eve of such a crucial party? Well, of course, you know, this isn't the first of, of such measures on the part of the United States. It's, it's a steady ratcheting up of such measures to try and, uh, yes, weaken the ability of, of the Chinese chip-making industry to advance and, and become stronger and even more self-reliant. And it's precisely because of the importance uh, of these technologies for many of China's uh, you know, future technological advancements uh, that the United States, uh, including uh, not just the United States, but putting pressure on other uh, governments and industries around the world to to to, to issue similar uh, restrictions on these technology transfers. It's precisely for this reason uh, to, to, to try and weaken uh, China's ability going forward as a military power, as an economic power, and in, and in other technological areas that these sanctions are being put down. Um, you know, I think... It's not unexpected, I wouldn't think, by the leadership in China that these measures are going to continue to ratchet up. Uh, I suppose a week before the Congress, it's not good news, but I don't think it would be unexpected. Uh, and I think the, uh, that, that was probably already banked in in some ways, at least in their political thinking about their relationship with the United States. Bates, it would be erroneous of me not to ask you, and I don't know if you're going to roll your eyes at this one, but I'm going to ask you anyway as well. Uh, the world's richest man said, my recommendation would be to figure out a special administrative zone for Taiwan that is reasonably palatable, probably won't make everyone happy. Elon Musk told the FT. Just your reaction to that, sir. Well, the special zone or administrative zone is precisely what Beijing uh, would prefer. Uh, and pre I'm presuming that, that Mr. Musk is, is speaking about a special administrative zone over which China would exercise sovereign authority. It's more or less the model of one country, two systems, I suppose, which Beijing would prefer to see in its relationship with Taiwan. The, on the only problem with this uh, for Mr. Musk is that the people of Taiwan certainly don't agree uh, with that type of arrangement. And I think there are lots of other governments in the region, uh, not least the United States, which would also have some questions about how that type of arrangement might work especially if it were achieved forcibly or through coercive means uh, to compel uh, the people of Taiwan to accept that arrangement. So I think um, the statement deserves a great deal of unpacking and maybe even a bit of a reality check. Yeah, you've written, what, nine books on this? Is it helpful getting Elon Musk involved? Well, you know, the world's wealthiest man obviously feels he has a lot to say on these geopolitical uh, questions. Um, I would only suggest that he take a, a lot harder look at the realities, uh, the historical precedents uh, and, and geopolitical 
uh, a contestation that surround all of these questions uh, before giving us all a lesson in diplomacy. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much, Bates. I think you'll find a lot of people perhaps uh, have a lot of sympathy for your view there. Bates Gill, Executive Director, Centre for China Analysis, Asia Society Policy Institute, and of course, uh, an author, um, unlike Elon Musk, but an author of books on China, including Daring to Struggle, uh, China's Global Ambition under Xi Jinping. Coming up on the show, a hot... No well, was it that hot? Uh, we need to discuss this, don't we? We need to go into a bit of details about why the market absolutely, well, aggressively sold off. There you go. That's the polite way of putting it. On uh, a non-farm payrolls print that uh, apparently is heat pressure on the Fed. I I'm going to disagree already. There you go. You know where I'm coming from when we come back uh, after the break. Uh, apparently the podcast is okay today. So uh, listening to that one, we've also got Bates Gill's uh, interesting commentary on China uh, and Mr. Musk as well. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Well, we really are gearing up for a very busy week stateside with a slew of latest economic data expected to be released later on. Now, the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics will publish the latest inflation print Thursday, with price pressures forecast to slow to 8.1 percent. On the corporate front, banks are kicking off the earnings season on Friday with J.P. Morgan, Citi, Wells Fargo and Morgan Stanley all releasing their latest numbers. Um, U.S. unemployment rate fell to 3.5% uh, in September, bucking expectations and returning to a 50-year low. Non-farm payroll increased by 236,000 for the month, falling short of forecasts. Remember that, falling short of forecasts. Average hourly earnings increased by 0.3%, largely in line. So you've got three figures, okay? One, better than expected. One in line, one worse than expected. And the irony is, I'm not going to tell you which is which, because some of you think worse than expected is better than expected, and some of you think better than expected is worse than expected. Uh, you kind of know what I'm saying on this one? If you don't, never mind. <laughs> on that note, we'll, we'll pick it up in a bit. New York Fed well, they president... They should know by now. You know, bad data is good, good data is bad for a lot of people out there. I totally disagree. The New York Fed President John Williams has warned that the unemployment rate in the states will likely rise as the central bank continues to fight spiking inflation. Williams said the Fed will need to keep on hiking rates until they are brought under the above the inflation rate, potentially reaching a target of 4.5%. He added that while the job market may be impacted, pricing pressures should start to come down, quote, significantly next year. Our U.S. colleagues will have more on the Fed's rate-hiking path when they speak to the Chicago Fed President Charles Evans later on today. And we'll have much more on the outlook for U.S. markets and the economy with J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon. You can join us for that interview exclusively tomorrow. So just picking up on the jobs report, I think the market 
just wanted more. And the problem was that we didn't see the pace of slowdown coming through enough. And anything that was weakness was really just indicative, again, of a tight labour market. They've got people now not out there hunting for jobs, which has impacted uh, the overall rates that we're seeing, the participation rate uh, falling. And the fact that we've now got um, movement on the um, unemployment rate taking us back to those pre-pandemic levels. But what you've still not seen as a correction here has been on that overline headline print around the non-farm payrolls. We've come down on the 2021 pace, but we're not back to pre-pandemic levels. And I think the market has been looking for a very strong U-turn on the jobs market numbers. Yeah, it has. And it's, it's desperate for bad data. And I think the market's got to be very, very careful what it wishes for. It is desperate for bad data at a macro level, yeah? Uh, and and that's, it's, that's absolutely bonkers. If you leave the Fed to do their job, if they do what they're doing as aggressively, inflation at some stage will fall. It always does if central banks get on with the job as well. But this praying for unemployment, this praying for an economic slowdown as well, for a CPI print, which we're going to get on Thursday, desperation there as well. It, it's it's going to lead to chaos for the markets because the other thing that the market wants, which it's forgotten about, and it can't have both, is that it wants awful numbers on the macro, on the unemployment. That's kind of where we're at at the moment, because the numbers were okay. They weren't stellar. There was nothing stellar about the payroll. It was okay. But the market wanted an awful number, and that's why it fell. But, but the other thing, though, it, it, it seems to be forgetting. If you get the top-down figure bad, you're going to get the bottom-up figure bad. So do you really want an absolutely rubbish earnings season? Because that's going to happen if the macro turns around as well. Now, we are not in an earnings recession yet. We're at the moment expecting an increase of 2.6 in terms of EPS. Uh, this one, which starts on Friday with all the big banks and what have you as well. But is that what really people want, an earnings recession? Because that will not be the green light that they think it is to buy the stock market. If they get the data turning on the macro level, which they're desperate for, Trust me, people, the, the market will turn at the bottom level as well. And that is going to give you all kinds of problems on your stocks. Can I just look at this from an alternative yes, perspective? Yes, you can, because for, we're going to go over because Adam's lost control already. <laughs> Monday morning. What about the dollar equation here? Because at this stage, the strength that we still have in that US data means that dollar has been king. And it's given the central bank uh, a lot of leeway in terms of these jumbo-sized increases, enough so that other central banks are looking like they can't quite keep up. If they keep up, then what's the, the cost of the growth uh, story? That's, I think, a huge debate for a lot of investors. As a result, dollar has been king. And the problem now is a lot of the big companies that are going to be reporting in the next few weeks from the industrial side may show some demand slippage or, or slippage in some of the earnings because of that strength in the US dollar. So if we continue in this vein, but. what is the destruction story for the US manufacturing side. And don't forget, we've seen Biden not exactly lean into the same Trump-esque measures in terms of protecting local industry, sure, on the, on the trade side, but not broadly. So will we see some destruction in the industrial earnings? But America land buys a lot more things than it sells. Fact at the moment. Maybe that'll change one day. It hasn't under various presidencies, by the way, whatever your stripes are, Republican or Democrat. The August figure was a $67.4 billion trade deficit. So it's buying an awful lot of goods with an awfully long, uh, um, strong currency as well to feed two thirds of the economy, which is consumer based as well. That is a hell of a boost for an economy, having the world's reserve currency, regardless of the underlying economics as well. So they're buying an awful lot of goods um, at rock bottomed levels in many cases around the world as well. Admittedly, energy is, is, a, is a, a thorn in the side of everyone at the moment, and that's why the Biden administration and Clean Jean-Pierre were so aggressive uh, against what's happening from the OPEC point of view, which we haven't mentioned too much of as well. 
Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.